we praise your name in this place. Now, Father, we pray that you will open our eyes, that we will see wonderful things in your word. Bless the proclamation. May you be glorified to people blessed. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's word or click to your copy of God's word. And again, we will look at Acts chapter 9 as we preach through the book of Acts chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. I want to preach from this subject. Saul was in it to win it. Saul was in it to win it. Last week when we left Saul, he had regained his sight, had regained his strength, full of the Holy Spirit, baptized, and he spent some days with the disciples. And after spending an undisclosed number of days with the disciples there in Damascus, he immediately went into the synagogues. The synagogues were places of worship. It would be like our churches today. And so he went into the synagogues, and and he preached the Christ. In other words, his message was Christocentric, that Jesus Christ was the centerpiece of his preaching. Saul's message centered around Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah that Isaiah and the other prophets had proclaimed that were, was to come. His preaching centered around Jesus as the Savior of the world. His preaching centered around Jesus who shed his blood on the cross of Calvary and that that bloodshed provided the way for sinners to come clean before and holy and righteous God. So it was Saul did not preach religious traditions. He did not preach rituals or or religious rules or ceremonies. He did not preach politics, even though politics was raging and an important issue of his day. He did not preach economics. He did not preach social status, standing, or style. He did not even preach as the centerpiece of his message, his dramatic, dramatic Damascus Road experience, his vision, his prayer, his fasting, his past life as a Pharisee. He did not preach his academic accomplishments or even the fact that he was mentored by the great Rabbi Gamal. No. Saul unapologetically, unwaveringly, unconditionally preached Jesus Christ, the Son of 
God, risen from the dead with all power in his hand. That was his message. So it is if the 21st century pulpits, if 21st century pulpits are to be effective instruments in reaching the laws for Jesus, if modern day churches are to be efficient tools for leading, doubting, disillusioned, disgraced people out of darkness into the marvelous light. If contemporary Christ followers are to be effectual mouthpieces calling this generation of self-absorbed, self-acclaimed, and self-ascribed people to turn away from their sins, we must preach Jesus Christ. We must preach that Jesus lived a sinless life. We must preach that he died to save sinners. We must preach that Christ rose victoriously from the grave. So fathers and mothers, you preach. Aunts and uncles, you preach. Sisters and brothers, you preach. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it's critical, it's crucial that we preach Christ. Notice what Paul Saul says about preaching Christ in the following scriptural text. 2 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5, he wrote, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Christ's sake. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, But we preach Christ crucified, Unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. He said it's a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Greeks, but preach Christ anyway. Colossians 1, 27 and 28a. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, him we preach. Reminds me of the hymn writer who wrote, How to reach the masses, men of every birth. For an answer, Jesus gave the key. Thy, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men, all women, all people unto me. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our charge, it is our duty to preach Jesus Christ. Now watch carefully to what happens next. Verse 21 reveals that all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? The word amazed means that those listening to Saul's preaching were awestruck. They were astounded. They were astonished. They were surprised. They were stunned. They were staggered. First, by the message, and then by the messenger. 
You see, you see, first they were amazed by the message that Jesus, who had been crucified on the cross in Jerusalem not many days ago, had risen from the grave and that he really was the Christ. They were amazed at that message that this same Jesus who suffered and bled, died on the cross, had risen from the dead. And that... He really was the awaited Messiah, the Son of God, the the Savior of the world. And after all, you perhaps would have been amazed too. After that bloody fiasco on Friday. To hear that the tomb was empty. And not only was Jesus alive, he had been seen by people. That message amazed them. And and brothers and sisters, the message of Jesus Christ is still amazing people today. And second, they were amazed to hear that Saul, this hater of Jesus, this murderer of Christians, this persecutor of this church, they were amazed to hear him share the gospel. The good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. For you see, Saul had truly repented and had come into a saving relationship with Jesus. That amazed them. As a result, he made a 180-degree change in his thinking and in his conduct to the absolute amazement of all who heard him. Observe how their amazement is fleshed out in verse 21. They ask, is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name of Jesus in Jerusalem? It shocked them. One day he was a destroyer. The next day he is a disciple preaching. It amazed them. The answer is, it's not he who destroyed those who called on the name of Jesus in Jerusalem. Now, now it's amazing because he has come all this way. It was about a 150-mile trek from Jerusalem to disciple to, to uh, Damascus. Healthy men or healthy women could make the trek in about a week, but they were amazed that he had come all this way. One time for the purpose of bounding up believers and turning them over to the priest for persecution and perhaps death, but now he is preaching. This was shocking. This was unbelievable news. Now, here's a modern-day example of what this kind of amazement looks like. Now, let me preface my statement by saying this is not a political statement. It just is what it is. It matters not what side of the hotly debated issue of immigration you are on, whether you are for it or whether you are against it. That's not the issue. If you woke up to the morning news and the script had been flipped and those who were adamant about building walls and keeping certain people out all of a sudden are saying, tear the walls down. No walls, no separation. 
Not only that, before the cameras and before thousands of people, they are reciting the words inscribed on the Statue of Liberty. In case you have not heard them recently, the words are, let all who desire to come, come. And then you heard them read these famous words, give me your tired your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuge of teeming shore. Send these homeless tempers tossed to me. I lift my hand beside the golden door. Now again, no matter what side you're on, whether you affirm it, for it or again it. Change like this in policy, in procedure, in practice would amaze you, astound you, astonish you, knock your socks off. Unless, of course, you believe the words of Luke 137, for nothing is impossible. God. So after the amazing debut of the message and the messenger in the synagogue, verse 22 states, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving this Jesus is the Christ. And like Stephen in Acts chapter 7, Saul was not ashamed, nor was he afraid to share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, even in hostile environments, because he was in it to win it. His spirit-led intellect, his par excellent theological training, and his passionate devotion to Jesus Christ proved too much for his opponents to withstand. No wonder they were driven to anger at his presence and his presentation. Now here's a footnote concerning the time period between verses 22 and 23. Credible Bible researchers, scholars, and interpreters point out that between these two verses, Saul took a three-year journey to Arabia to be alone with God. Although Luke does not bring, although Luke chooses not to break the flow of his narrative and focus on that journey, Paul takes time in Galatians 1, 15 through 18 to fill in the details of that trip. For he writes, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who, who were apostles before me. Get this, during this time period, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days. To know Saul's story is to acquaint, acquaint oneself with the brilliancy of God who takes all the time that's necessary 
to shape us, to make us, and to mold us for the task that he has ahead of us. Here's a realism. If you want to serve God in powerful and unprecedented ways, you must spend time alone with him. God may not ask us to sequester or seclude ourselves for years like he did with Saul or for months or even days, but we must take time to be alone with God. Oh, I know it's busy and we have places to go and people to see and things to do, but in order to be used powerfully by God, we must take time to be alone with him. For you see, both Moses and Elijah spent time in the same desert region as Saul, preparing for the enormity of tasks before them. On the topic of spending preparatory time alone with God, pastor and teacher R. Ken Hughes wrote, and I quote, Jesus spent 18 years preparing for three years of ministry. And at the beginning of the three years, get this, he spent 40 days alone with the Father. We need to retreat regularly, often daily, to commune with God and be prepared by him to accomplish his purposes for us. We must remember that preparation for service does not happen overnight. The Lord is never in a hurry. He is building us for eternity, end quote. Recently, I read a sermon by Pastor Stephen David who quoted these words from an unknown source. Quote, Every Christian God has ever used has had a course of two in the University of Arabia. A wilderness training. Think about Saul. The fees are large. The discipline exacted. And many don't keep it up, but drop out. For those who graduate, the results are utter dependence on God. And utter independence of man. Let me say that again. For those who graduate from God's desert training program. The results are utter dependence on God. Saul learned in the desert to be totally dependent upon God. And utter interdependence of man. In other words, Saul learned That man, woman, could be, would be helpful, but he learned to operate 
independently of people. Saul was certainly a graduate of the University of Arabia. And good thing he was, because upon graduating and returning to Damascus, Luke tells us in verses 23 through 25 that after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Oh, thank God for the desert experience where God talked with him and trained him and taught him to lead upon God even in your darkest night. For after many days, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot came known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down the wall and led him down the wall in a large basket. Here's what happened in the span of just three years. Saul the hater became Saul the hated. Saul the hunter became Saul the hunted. Saul the persecutor became Saul the persecuted. Saul the attacker became Saul the attacked. Saul the oppressor became Saul the oppressed. Saul the tormentor became Saul the tormented. Saul the destroyer is the object now of somebody else's plot, plan, procedure to destroy him. Oh, thank God for the desert experience because somewhere in the course of that desert time of God, with God, like Elijah and like Moses, Saul had driven into his personage the idea of Saul, you are in it to win it. So there it is there. And Luke says in verses 20 to 25, his enemies are trying to kill him, so it was Saul hats up, he skies, he gets out of Dodge, and he goes to Jerusalem where his hope, dream, and aspirations was to join the disciples. Jerusalem, their headquarters with Peter, James, and John and the other disciples, he went there hoping to get an audience with Peter. But verse 26 informs us that when they that they were all afraid of him. Perhaps they thought he was a fraud, a, a fake, a phony, a house plant, a spy seeking to creep into the church from the outside and rip the fellowship apart. After all, where has he been for the past three years? But Barnabas, the one, the, the disciples named in Acts 4.36, son of encouragement, Meant came to the rescue. He brought Saul to the apostles, Peter and James, and declared to them that Saul was legitimate. Barnabas said of Saul in verse 17, he has seen the Lord on the road, and, and, the, and the Lord spoke to him. Barnabas shared how Saul had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus, uh, saying, so he was with them in Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus, that this Saul disputed against the Hellenists, his own people. 
That's what Barnabas said. I know he's legitimate. I know he was preaching, teaching. Jesus spoke to him. He's legitimate. His own kind now have turned on him. They want to kill him. He is real. He is born again. He is a believer. He is legitimate. So with that, he's in. Here again, when the brethren found out, after he spent some time with Peter, they found out that Saul's life was in grave danger once again. And so they brought him down to Caesarea, and they sent him out to Tarsus, where he goes back to his hometown. Verse 31 says that the church enjoyed a time of peace. Saul is in Tarsus. Things have settled down for a while. But when you look at this story, you must think after all Saul has been through up to this point, one thing stands out. That is, he's in it to win it. Come what may, in spite of the opposition, sunshine of rain, fair days or stormy days, he is in it to win it. He's 100% radically sold out to Jesus, no matter what. So likewise, when we are in it to win it, when we are 100% radically sold out to Jesus, no matter what, At least these three things will happen. First, when God calls you and sends you, he will be with you and take care of you. In order to be in it to win it, you got to remember that. You got to remember, you got to know in your heart of hearts that when God calls you and sends you, he will be with you. He will take care of you. Those words ring out in my mind now as I go into towards my 44th, 41st year of preaching the words of Dr. Bogan, who told me as a young man, as a young college student, as a young preacher, he said, pick it. If God called you, he will take care of you. For you see, where God guides, he always provides. As one student said, God's will, God's bill. That blessed assurance is not just for the pastors or those in full-time vocational ministry. That's wherever field of service God has you in, he will take care of you. Even in the desert, the difficulty and the depressing conditions that sometimes surrounds us, God is right in the midst of it all like he was for Saul. Working, Dr. Williams, all things together for good, for those that love him, those who are called according to his purpose. And we know... No matter how dark, no matter how dismal, no matter how disappointing, and we know that God is in the midst of it, working out all things for his glory and our good. Those who are in it to win it understand that. Second, 
and you're in it to win it. You know, when God calls you and sends you, he will always raise up good people to help you. All of these years of preaching, I have come to understand this personally at every assignment. God has always raised up good people to help me. Look at our pulpit roster, good people. Look at our deacons, good people. Look at our congregation, good people. When God calls you and sends you, he will always. Raise up good people to help you. Dr. Maxie Gordon told me when I got ready to go to school, seminary, young and, and married, looking at three years of academic studies, away from home, child on the way. Maxie Gordon said to me, he said, pick it, remember, that when you get in route, God will always send people to help you. And all along the way, there were people to, to help. Even D. Paul Nichols, whom office I walked into one day, feeling down as a student. He said, Linnell, look out of that window over there. And I looked out over at the student housing apartments. He said, over there is a student by the name of Bob Harris. Bob and his wife have five children. You have one. Bob and his wife have five. I'm telling you, son, you can make it in this school if you want to. You see, when the Hellenists tried to kill Saul, some good folk heard about the plot. They got wind of that scheme, and they put a plan in motion to take Saul out by night and let him down the side of the city wall in a large basket. Listen, hear me well, hear me good. God's got you. God's got some good people at church, at your office, at the plant, at the warehouse, at school, in the administration office, at the doctor's office, at the lawyer's office, at the police station, some good folk to help you get through whatever it is you're going through. So like Saul, you just go. God always has people. Somebody will come up and, 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 and hold your hand. Third, when God calls you and sends you, he will always send somebody to encourage you. Just when Saul needed somebody to encourage him, to speak up on his behalf, God sent Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to the rescue. Won't he do it? Won't he send somebody? Were you ever at the point, the place, the position of giving up, giving out, and giving in, and just in the nick of time, God sent you somebody? 
Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a church member. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a cashier, a clerk, or even a complete stranger that you never saw before. But somebody had a word of encouragement for you. Maybe they just said in so many words, words, the songwriter who wrote, be not dismayed, whatever be tied, God will, God will, it doesn't matter how dark it is, God will, no matter how many are against you, God will take care of you. 